hosts of Common Sense Investing have been helping their clients and listeners make sense of the markets for nearly three decades. Using a conservative, diversified, value-oriented approach to investing, they strive to make you a better educated, well-informed investor. And now here's your host, Eric Whiteman. One of the first things they taught me in culinary school was you never try to catch a falling knife. I've been rather defensive in waving the yellow flag for the last couple of months, and nothing's changed. In fact, things may have escalated a bit. Last week, the S&P 500 declined for the fourth straight week, and the Dow was down for the sixth week in a row as the trade tensions continue to escalate. We know about the ongoing battle with China, but now the administration is threatening to impose more tariffs on Mexico starting next week if Mexico doesn't take steps to stop the flow of illegal immigrants coming through our southern border. What you might have missed was the potential tariffs on Indian imports and a narrowly avoided trade war with Australia. Granted, some of these tariffs may never come to pass. We're meeting with the Mexican delegation and Australia seems to be on hold for now. Still, the heightened policy uncertainty has taken investors back. We have more than one knife falling. Heck, we've dropped the whole kitchen drawer. Even with all this going on, the equity markets still remain positive for the year. The S&P is up 9%. The Dow is up more than 6%. And the NASDAQ is up over 10%. But if you step back and open up that lens a little wider, you could also say that we're at the same place we were back in January of 2018, or about a year and a half ago. That's right. We've basically been flat in the market for a year and a half. We had a good deal of ups and downs during those 18 months, but basically we're flat. If we're pulling out a scale to weigh things, you'll see pockets of the economy that are struggling. You've had disappointing retail sales numbers. Factory output is down. Existing home sales have been down for 14 months in a row. And that doesn't bode well for folks like Lowe's or Home Depot or Sherwin-Williams. Those companies are on my no-no list right now because they're highly correlated to existing home sales. You know, when someone buys an existing home, they usually put money into it to get it the way they want it. Now, on the other hand, we still have strong job growth. Wages are rising at the fastest rate in 10 years and interest rates are low all of which should keep the U.S. economy growing. My thesis several months ago was that we would muddle through a soft patch in the economy and then global growth would pick pick up in the latter half of this year. Now, that's pretty darn uncertain. If we don't start to see progress on the trade front, business and consumer confidence will start to erode. I think both sides have pretty strong incentives to get things done and to come to some sort of resolution. Although I don't think that's in our immediate future. Most of the people I talk to have some hopes for the G20 summit later this month. From a technical perspective, things don't seem much better there either. There were only a handful of stocks that were dragging dragging the markets higher And needless to say, that's not a very healthy condition. What I'll need to see is a day or two where the upside volume exceeds the downside volume nine to one. That's a ratio I've talked about many times before. And it won't take just that. I'll need to see some change in investor psychology too. 
I'd need to see investors getting very bearish, which they aren't. And volatility, I'll need to see that pick up as well. The bottom line is, is the knife is falling. Don't try and catch it. That's my guess on the big picture. It may be right. It may be wrong. Trying to guess what the market is going to do in the short term is tougher than a $2 stake. I think the much better proposition is if you focus on the fundamentals and invest for the long term. Let's look at a few that you may want to research and see if they make sense for you and at what price. Remember, you always need to do your own research. Now, Monday, we had the news that the DOJ and the FTC are looking into breaking up the large tech companies. And with that news came the sell-off in the FANG names, you know, Facebook, Alphabet, Amazon, uh, and, and Apple. That isn't new news, but it does take things up a notch. I'm not sure if you can make a real solid any case, uh, antitrust case against these companies, but I'm not a lawyer either. I would guess that you see various fines dished out, some new regulations implemented. Even if they were broken up, I'm not necessarily convinced that it's a bad thing from a shareholder's perspective. The last time I talked about Apple was in my annual outlook for uh, for the year back in January. So let's take another look here. Right now, the analysts are guessing that Apple, symbol AAPL, is going to earn about $11.40 a share this year and around $12.70 for next year, which means that they're trading about 15 and a half times this year's guess and about 14 times next year's guess. Of course, I'm not sure how much conviction anyone has in those numbers, but but let's go with it. I think investors are struggling with how much is the right amount to pay for Apple's earnings over the last couple of years. For a good five or six years, they were paying around 12 to 13 times earnings because Apple was seen as a one product company, the iPhone. And for that reason, you'd want to pay less for it. Then they were seen differently because their service revenues were becoming greater and greater. Investors pay more for recurring predictable revenue. So they were trading at about 18 times earnings over the last couple of years. Obviously, we're somewhere in between now. In my opinion, service revenues will continue to be a bigger and bigger piece of the revenue pie and are worth more than the 12 times earnings that they used to pay for them. Now, are they a big enough piece that you'd want to pay 18 times earnings for it? I don't know. But I wouldn't argue with someone who doesn't already own Apple and wants to get their toes wet here. If you're like me and want to be cheap, maybe start nibbling at around $170. With Apple, I'm not overly concerned about the China, uh, China trade war or the possible antitrust issues. What I see is a high quality, reasonably predictable company that over the long term is probably going to deliver the growth that I want. Another one that was hit was Google, symbol G-O-O-G, or I guess I should say it by its proper name, Alphabet. I had suggested a while back that investors look at Google under $1,000, and here we are staring $1,000 in the face. I'd be disciplined. If I said $1,000, I'm going to stay with $1,000 as my buy price. Now, I know what some of you are saying to yourselves. What's a conservative value investor doing looking at Google? And I think that's a fair question. Consensus estimates do have 
Google trading at about 20 times this year's earnings and about 18 times for next year's earnings guess. And they've been growing their earnings at about 14.5% per year for the last five years on average, which is only a little bit better than Apple or CarMax for that matter, symbol KMX. And, you know, Apple's trading at about 15 times earnings. CarMax, which incidentally is near an all-time high, is trading about 16, 17 times. The reason is, is that Google's core business is advertising revenue, which is growing at about 20%. And the money that they're making from that is being reinvested back into the business. But it's being reinvested into other bets, other long shots that may or may not pay off. And those businesses are things like Waymo, uh, self-driving cars, it's drone delivery business, and a few few others. Last quarter, they had $1.3 billion in operating losses coming from those other businesses. And my point here is, is that they have a lot of control over their earnings. If they shut down those other businesses, you would see their earnings increase pretty dramatically. But for now, they're choosing to invest in future innovation. At $1,000, I think the risk-reward uh, uh, risk odds are in my favor. And if I'm looking out over five years, I kind of like what I see. For the more conservative amongst you, I mentioned AT&T last week. AT&T is more of a total return story. At $31, $32, which is where the stock is trading at as I speak, it's paying about a 6.5% dividend which will look even more attractive if the Fed cuts rates over the next year like the market is anticipating. Think of it like this. If AT&T grows its earnings at 5% and you collect a 6.5% from the dividend, well, you put those two together and that adds up to an 11% total return as long as the multiple doesn't change. And that's what people are willing to pay for a dollar of their earnings. With AT&T trading at about eight or nine times earnings, I think it's more likely people will pay more for it over time since over the last 15 years, they've been willing to pay about 13 times on average. I think it's much more likely that the multiple goes up than goes down. From other past shows, I'd look at AMAT. Applied Materials, symbol AMAT, under $40. And how about Intel, symbol INTC? I'd look at that under 44 Let me leave you with one last one before we get out of here. United Healthcare, talked about this one too, symbol UNH. It's trading hands at around $236, paying about a percent and a half dividend, nothing special there. As a whole, they've grown their earnings by 12.5% a year, over the last 10 years and by 15% a year on average over the last five years. And they've been growing that dividend at a pretty high rate too. They have a great balance sheet. And as you know, balance sheets matter. Their earnings are relatively predictable and value line gives them the highest mark for safety. The question is, is valuation. Right now, the analysts are calling for UNH to earn about fourteen seventy dollars a share this year and about sixteen sixty next year, which means they're trading about 16 times this year's earnings guesstimate and about 14 times next year's. It's reasonable, but not dirt cheap. Over the last 15 years, it's been as low as eight times earnings, but that was really during the financial crisis. So if you take that period out, 
it's been trading at about 17 times on average. I think this is such a good company that I'm willing to start nibbling now. I think most of their risks are external risks, things like a recession driving the unemployment rate higher and greater competition. I'd buy half here. And if the stock, if the stock struggles and the market pulls back even more, I'd probably buy the other half if it got down to around 225 or so. Okay. We're out of time for today. This is Eric Whiteman and this is Common Sense Investing. We'll be back next week. And until then, remember, it's just as important to protect your assets as it is to grow them. Okay, you've listened to the show. Now it's time for the really good stuff. So listen up. It's the disclosures. The things I talked about during the show, well, they're just my opinion and may or may not necessarily be those of the XML Financial Group. Don't construe this as personalized advice or a solicitation to buy or sell a security. No, no. You should consult your own financial advisor to see if it's appropriate for you. It's also not a substitute for tax or legal advice. I'd suggest you get someone who's qualified in these areas so you can get the advice you deserve. When you're talking about asset allocation, diversification, rebalancing, they don't guarantee better results and they don't eliminate the risk of losses. In investing, there are no guarantees. Just because you use these strategies doesn't mean you'll outperform someone or something who doesn't. XML Financial LLC is an independent registered investment advisor.